0: Have a bully inside your head telling you that you're not good enough do you lean towards self-defeat do you have trouble believing in yourself and are you dying to learn how to become the perfect version of you a you that you dream about if you answered yes then you're like me and this podcast is for you welcome to the journey to worthy podcast where we discuss self-esteem worthiness and transformation through a gay lens i'm your host jeremy long And I want to share my journey with you. Welcome to the Journey to Worthy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Journey to Worthy podcast. This is episode eight. We have a very special episode for you. We have a sex therapist, Lyndon Newdorf, is going to be interviewed with me. And this is a little bit of a longer episode, so I've broken it up into two parts of Feel free to listen to part one today and part two when you have got some more free time. Definitely don't miss out. We've covered some very interesting topics, uh, anywhere from how to get better sex, exploring kink, uh, special uh, comparisons in the gay community, and how to have the sex that you want, and how it affects self-esteem. So please uh, stay tuned for part one and part two with Lyndon Newdorf. Say hello, Lyndon. Hi, Jeremy. So if you want to go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So I, uh, I've been living in Vancouver for about five years, um, originally from Alberta, did a bunch of traveling around, mm-hmm. um, in Latin America, Europe and Asia, landed up here and have, uh, gravitated towards, um, mental health work in that time. So it's kind of a general therapist in Alberta and, uh, working here in Vancouver, I've started doing more around HIV uh, work and mental health and, and gay men's health in specific.
0: Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a really worthy cause,
1: right? Kind of a niche, niche uh, population that I work with. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What led you to wanting to be involved in this kind of work?
1: Well, I'd always really liked HIV work. I thought there was a re- really like a sense of community. Um, a really strong sense of history and it had a lot to do with LGBT rights. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, I felt really comfortable in that. And then, uh, had this dream actually of like coming to Vancouver and working in, in gay men's health, um, and was able to make that happen and it feels really really great that's cool that's yeah. nice to have a goal to contribute to your
0: community in some way and then actually follow through mm-hmm. i think a lot of people end up in positions where they wish they could contribute but they're kind of stuck in a role where it's lucrative or it's what they've done for so long yeah absolutely yeah. good mm-hmm. um just curious a uh, fun question what do you like what gets you fired up in the morning like what's what's exciting for you to get out of bed for
1: well I'm the kind of person that like, I love mornings as it is. So I will go to bed and (laughs) people won't believe me, but I'll go to bed and actually like be excited for the morning Mm -hmm. and like find it hard to fall asleep. Cause I'm like, I can't wait for like to wake up and have my coffee and (laughs) (laughs) so it doesn't take me much to get fired up in the morning. Um, but if you're asking what fires me up in terms of like <clears throat> work and passion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that is, it's really just, uh, the work that I do, a lot of training that I've done and continue to do. Like I find training opportunities that really inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's a mix of those things.
0: Cool. Yeah. Kind of work related passion contribution to your society that good. stuff i like the morning stuff that's good yeah. I do you love my coffee in the morning yes uh i'm just curious actually you mentioned different training so you mm-hmm. did you had told me that you had just done a training in san francisco mm-hmm. do you want to
1: talk a little bit about that sure so i i finished the in-class part of uh it's like a full uh post-grad intensive training in sex therapy at Mm. the california institute of integral studies in san francisco it's one of the few accredited post-grad programs in north america so there are a lot of programs but some of them are a little sketchy Mm -hmm. some are unaccredited but are actually really good this one was kind of both It it was really good and it's accredited and so uh once i finish all of the um at home stuff like all the written assignments and everything then i will and and sort of do all the supervision components then i will be able to register as a sex uh therapist with asect which is the american association of sex educators counselors and therapists okay They're one of the biggest uh most well-known regulatory bodies uh around sex therapy and just really showing uh that, that you're established and and that you know what what you're doing right And Mm -hmm. did you say that there's not a lot of people that have that sort of accreditation here in Vancouver? I don't know of anyone who's got that accreditation. There are people who've got other ones. So there are a few Canadian um, accrediting organizations. Mm -hmm. I'm not really familiar with them, um, but this is sort of the biggest one in North America. Okay. So I thought I would just go with them because it's North America wide. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Recognized. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Um, So... You mentioned that you have worked a lot in the HIV field. Is there sort of like, what what are the actual areas of your expertise? Like what's been the most, uh, the area that you've just done the best work in or that you really have
1: spent the most time in? Kind of a hard question because I think HIV work encompass- and gay men's health and mm-hmm. mental health encompasses so much because you're still working with all of the other issues of life. So if people are prone to you know, depression or anxiety or other mood disorders or, um, you know, other psychiatric kinds of illnesses Mm -hmm. or other kinds of health problems, the regular stuff of life. Plus then you add, um, challenges and stigma around possibly being gay, probably HIV status. Right. if, If that's an issue. Um, yeah. And, and that just really complicates things. So I think, I think you have to be good as a generalist. To be able to to know have have some familiarity with all of those other things, and then be able to um, also be able to work uh, specifically with with HIV and gay men's health because that's a, kind of a niche area of its own. Right. So having the general therapist
0: skills and mm-hmm. tools to rely on to be able to navigate to push someone in the right direction
1: to know what they need mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of people are coming with various kinds of, uh, you know, awful experiences that have happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have full symptoms of, uh, trauma and so kind of navigating that as well, taking that into account is really important. I actually, I did a, a yoga teacher training a couple oh. of years ago. I don't know if I ever mentioned that. No, but I love that. I'm, I'm all about the yoga. Yeah. And so am I. And so there's this great, um, trauma therapist and educator and I can never say his name right but it's Bessel van de Kolk or something like that <laughs> and he teaches out of Boston and he writes a book about how yoga is one of the best of, uh, ways to work with trauma because it trauma sits in our bodies mm-hmm. you know and and when something really overwhelming happens, it's, it's like there's this constant vigilance, like it's constantly happening. And so I find that the, the yoga training that I did is helpful just in being able to work with people and getting back into their bodies when they're feeling overwhelmed or, or feeling like they want to, you know, check out. So yeah, it's like, it's like all of these skills, I think that a person learns along the way that can be helpful in the work and just applying it.
0: Well, I think that makes a really good practitioner too, is someone that's basically been curious in many areas of life because you're going to have clients from all different walks of life and being able to, you know, pull from all of your experiences, whether it's yoga or something to do with fitness or breathing exercises, or, you know, a book you read like in your graduate degree, like years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, It's really fascinating that sometimes all that stuff sort of really makes sense later on when you actually come across someone that really needs it. Yeah. 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 That's mm-hmm. cool. I was curious, you said some some of the clients that you or people that you would meet with uh, maybe will have been referred through other uh, areas of the mental health system or the healthcare system in general, but mm-hmm. who would, if we just heard about you and, you know, Lyndon's a sex therapist, like who would um, be the kind of person that would think, okay, maybe I should see a sex therapist. Like what would be, sure? yeah, what would be like, what would I be dealing with that maybe
1: I know that you would be a good person to go to? Right. So I, I do two things. I work with Vancouver Coastal Health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, the people that I work with there have to meet some criteria for me to work with them. There's mm-hmm. a certain level of acuity that they have to meet, and um, they can't make over a certain amount of money per year right. and that sort of thing. And then in that role, I, I do a wide range of work. But it, I think you're talking more about the private practice that I do. Yeah, probably. That. Yeah. And so... I think that people looking for a sex therapist, you know, it would be lovely if people were coming in and mostly like, you know, my sex life is great and I just want sexual enhancement skills and yeah. like working on it. But that's <laughs> Don't we all not, want that? <laughs> not what people are like willing to shell out a lot of money for, right? Because, okay. because therapy does cost quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so typically when people are coming in, they sort of reach the end of their rope already And finding that they really want to make a change. They really want to make a change and they've, and they've been struggling with this for a while. Some of the things that they might be working through are, um, issues around sexual identity or gender identity. Mm -hmm. Um, in couples, it might be desire discrepancy within the couple. Okay. This kind of thing about, you know, one person seems to want it a lot more than, than the other person. And that's become a real source of conflict or trouble in the relationship. Um, problems with painful sex, problems with climax, problems with, uh, arousal. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a wide range of issues that people are coming in with.
0: And what would be your main sort of way of
1: assessing how to help that person? Well, the first thing I would do is see how long this has been a problem for, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's, if it's a pretty recent problem, then we look at what's been going on recently Mm that might be contributing. If, including, uh, medical factors, right. If it's a longer term problem, then we have to start looking at what are the patterns of behavior and thoughts and everything that has contributed to this building up over time. Right so yeah yeah fair enough mm-hmm.
0: we also talked over on the phone um it was a really interesting topic around sort of casual sex and sex positive um behavior mm-hmm. and so i was wondering if you wanted to dive into that a little bit um because when it comes to i guess this the term sex positive is maybe thrown around i think you and i were talking about how the definition of that it's it's not exactly the same between every person, (laughs) right? Right, And so the idea of, you know, especially in the LGBTQ community, you know, there's all these apps. I've talked about this on previous episodes, like hookup apps. And, uh, I've been engaged in, you know, casual sex, you know, and meeting lots of people. Um, but, maybe the idea of what is sex positive, like when does sex positive and having, you know, multiple partners, when does that sort of cross the line over into
1: unhealthy or, you know, addictive behavior? Right. Well, I think the first thing about sex positivity is, you know, I see it as, as an attitude towards sex and, right. And towards bodies, Mm. Even you know, I think body positivity is a big part of sex positivity. For sure. And, Sex positivity, I have heard it, you know, it's one of those words that now I stop people every time I hear it. I'm like, what do you mean? Right. Because we might not actually be talking about the same it's thing. It's good to get clarity. Yeah. So I've, I've definitely heard it used in ways that I agree with 100%. And then I've also heard it used in ways that sort of imply that kinkier sex or more sex or, you know, those, those things might be better or, or polyamory is more evolved than monogamy. <laughs> um that celibacy that you know there's might be something wrong with that and so uh that's you know that's where i kind of cringe and say you know that's not sex positive at all because sex positivity is an attitude that says you know you have the right to determine how you want to enact your sexuality and whatever feels mm-hmm. really right for you like i think at its core that's what sex positivity is about right and so um yeah like i really try to live that out and also with with clients that I'm working with right you know it's it's about what they want in their life what what feels good and it might change for them like sometime um they might be into kinkier sex sometimes it might be more vanilla you right. know and that's just kind of I think something about sex positivity is like just going with that flow and and letting people kind of discover who they are and, and what feels good for them mm-hmm I think you used a word on the phone. It was just
0: based on what is that person's intent? I think you like, I Mm like when you said that, I think we were talking about like, what is people's intent towards what they're doing? Right. And as long as it's healthy and it is a positive mind frame towards that behavior, then maybe that's what sex positivity is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like that a lot. I am curious though, like when it comes to having multiple partners Mm -hmm. and maybe this is somewhat of a personal question, but um, you know, being involved in the scene where you, you know, this casual sex does happen and I've been in that realm. I'm just curious though, like what, how can someone determine like basically reflecting on their own behavior to see like, is this becoming, you know, too much of a thing? Like where, where does sex right. addiction come into play? Right. I, I mean, I how does someone assess themselves, I guess.
1: What's the problem with this? Like, why is this starting to feel like a problem? Hmm. Okay. What is that about? Because I don't usually use a, like a sex addiction framework. Yeah. I like to think of it more as a behavior. And I like to think about, um, compulsive behaviors. So I think that compulsions, you know, when we've got like, when we're trying to deal with things like anxiety or depression, we got these behaviors that build up over time as ways to manage those things. Mm -hmm. And then after a certain point, they become problematic. And so like the compulsive behavior becomes this anxiety management strategy that's just gone haywire. Right. So it's actually not about the too much sex. It's like, what is underneath the too much sex? So it's sort of a solution to a, a problem of stress or... Right. And then the solution becomes the problem.
0: right. So, <laughs> which I can relate to because I've been open about my being in recovery on this podcast. Right. And so maybe that's where it comes from. And my question is right. I've seen some people that, and maybe in myself where I have been quite sex positive and out there having, you know, casual sex mm-hmm. and then thinking, oh, okay, maybe I'm having too much, you know, and just having a, a thought or a reflection on it and then right. wondering because I have a you know, prior history of, you know, addictive behaviors or substance abuse. Right. Am I substituting this? Maybe it's just something that comes up once in a while. And then I've taken breaks. I've just been, like, taking a break from sex and relationships just because I wanted to, you know, identify, like, okay, well, maybe I just want to get back to myself. Mm-hmm. And knowing now that I don't see it as a problem. But I think that some people do sometimes wonder, you know, where is this going? Am I am I having too much or am I using it as an escape? Like you might have right.
1: said. Yeah, and I would wonder where those questions about having too much are coming from. Like, is that mm. some sort of socially influenced thing? Like, well, and I think sometimes, slut.
0: sometimes that, <laughs> yeah, that slut shaming piece yeah. is, a, is an important factor. Yeah, depending on who you know, what part of my social circles I'm in, or who I'm talking to, my perception of my behavior may change. Right, and I think people
1: have to navigate that in the world a lot, especially in the gay community there's a lot of mixed messages about it. Right. You know, like go have sex, be free, have fun. Like this is sexual liberation. And then there's also, there is slut shaming that happens. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it's kind of passed off as a joke and sometimes it's, it's not, but, Mm -hmm. but we definitely experience that. And then, yeah. Kind of wondering, you know, have I, have I been having too much sex? Like, you know, especially if there's, you, you get an STI for yeah. example, right? And then it's like, oh, fuck, what? Yeah. <laughs> what have yeah. I done? Yeah. I think that's normal. But um, to kind of reflect back and say, well, well, why is this, why am I having this thought? Like, where is this belief coming from?
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good um, place to start probably mm-hmm. to actually assess, do I even feel this way or am it's just coming from someone else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair, fair. Um, you did mention a little bit about kink, like people asking about, you know, how to change their, you know, sex or to engage in different things. Maybe it's with a partner that's, I think you mentioned desire. What was the word, the term you used?
1: Um, Are you talking about when, when there's a discrepancy in the couple?
0: Maybe, Uh um, maybe, well, depending on where you want to go. uh, We can talk about the kink piece a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I've been curious in my Mm -hmm. life and I've done some exploring. Um, So you definitely, I've like, checked out some different scenes or, you know, met up with some different people to just experience something new. Right. Uh, last year I was at Folsom. I was at the leather fair in San Francisco. How was that? It was fantastic. I walked around in a leather harness for the day and it was awesome. It was a great time. Lots of, you know, it's very sex positive Mm -hmm. walking around that space. At the same time, I would Mm -hmm. say that I was also overwhelmed because it was a lot of energy
1: it's it's a really sexualized space it is yeah. and and you have
0: to be in the right mind frame to be in that space to not feel like it's overwhelming and I just I think I just reached a point in the day where I I felt full I just Mm -hmm. felt content with everything I had witnessed (laughs) and seen and so that was enough for me and then you know other times I've yeah, I've explored kink in some new fetish roles and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the BDSM kind of community. But I'm curious maybe if people are afraid to try that because right. of stigma. I think that kink sometimes comes along with stigma. <clears throat>
1: totally. And I think that the mental health field has reinforced that stigma a lot. Mm. So, like, there's, you know, there there's still theories going around, like, that if you like... Um, whatever whipping BDSM, what whatever it is, yeah. That there's that you're sort of wanting to relive some kind of a traumatic experience, you know. And I just think that that's nonsense for the most part. I mean, I think that that I would I would explore that with someone if if it looked like that might actually be happening. But I think for the most part, people are so just exploring different aspects of themselves. They're exploring these um more hidden kind of desires mm-hmm. and um there's there's a lot of trust that needs to happen in those kind of relationships t- too in those kind of sexual situations. Right, right. And so um you know when I'm working with a couple who's engaging in kink play and especially if it's gotten really rough or really intense and then you know some of the questions I might want to ask are like So who's taking care of who once it's done, because this is a really good time Mm. for some emotional bonding to happen. You know, once the person typically the, if you know, someone's being flogged or something and if it's really intense, once they're coming down, they're having, you know, a lot of, a lot going on in their nervous system for them to be taken care of uh, by the other person. That can be a really amazing experience, but like, Yeah, I think those things are really cool to explore rather than sort of pathologize.
0: Right. Fair enough. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think that for, in my experience, maybe it's been easier for me to share on an app when I've been connecting with someone like, hey, this is what I'm curious about or, you know, into, and then it's easier there to disclose than maybe if I meet someone that I'm curious about potentially dating, it's like there's a little bit of fear or maybe not stigma, but fear of what's this person going to think if I open up about all the things I might be into. Right. That's a really strange place to be, to be able to walk through that and be honest and authentic with like, Hey, this is what I've tried. And I'm kind of into trying it again.
1: I totally hear what you're asking. And like, for me, I'm coming from the perspective of like, regardless of all of the work that I do, I think my nature is pretty vanilla, right? right. Like okay. I'm just pretty vanilla. Right? Yeah. But I think I like your question because I think that if someone, if I was interested in a potential partner, it would be like, we've got some cognitive flexibility around like we don't, we aren't just confined to these boxes Mm -hmm. about this is the only kind of sex I'm ever going to like. Right. You know, like we can kind of break out of that and try something else Mm -hmm. as long as it's still consensual, as long as it still feels okay. Sometimes you're actually doing it a little bit for your partner, right. And there's going to be some kind of reward (laughs) for that. Maybe a give and
0: take in some way. Totally.
1: And I think that that is a really natural thing in a couple, right? So I don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people find the partner. That's the exactly perfect match Mm -hmm. sexually, but I think most people probably don't, you know? And so there is a little bit of this give and take, yeah. within the relationship and, and people being a little bit more flexible around what their desires are and right. maybe even having an acquired taste. Right. or
0: Something. Right. It sort of makes me think of, I don't know if you've read Dan Savage, like Savage Love mm-hmm. from Seattle. So he, he uses the term GGG, like in a relationship, you should be good giving and game. And I really like that. Mm. Like you should be
1: you know, you mm-hmm. should
0: tr- try to be good at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Be giving to the other person, but you know, both ways. Great. And then, game to be open to new experiences. To explore. Yeah, and yeah. so I've kind of tried to live by that myself. But again, it does it. It's a feeling that comes up sometimes when I'm meeting someone new. And maybe this comes back to the whole idea of this podcast is about worthiness and just knowing like, oh, is this person still going to want me around if I'm totally honest about who exactly I am? Right. So maybe that's right. my own work that that's probably, you know, why
1: I bring up these kind of questions with interviewers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think they're really important questions though, because we all come, I think we all go into relationships or most of us having some questions about like, am I good enough? Yeah. You know, like, do I deserve this well and everyone's got that at some point in their life
0: that's one of my biggest lessons is it's not just me because Mm -hmm. i've had this you know these experiences in my life everyone at some point even the people that look like they're on top of the world on top of their game they've got moments in their life where they're like i don't belong here i'm not good enough absolutely you know and it comes when it comes to relationships too when you meet someone new you want to put your best foot forward and you want to impress this person right and so to, to try to be completely you but Maybe not so much you and, inf- you know, because you're afraid you'll scare some away. Right. Uh,
1: that's uh it's an inter- interesting dynamic.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that we do that. Uh, but eventually that, you know, the perfectly like made up face and outer, that, that exterior is going to, is going to crumble a little bit and they're going to see who we really are. Well, and hopefully that is what happens because you
0: want that to totally. melt away. You want to get to know someone. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Alright everyone, thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode with Lyndon. Please check in later on for episode part two of the interview with Lyndon Newdorf. Thanks everyone.